Welcome to Petrolicious Talks. Conversations, stories, and deep dives celebrating all the automotive world has to offer. Join me, Afshin Benia, founder of Petrolicious, as we chat with designers and drivers, enthusiasts and entrepreneurs, collectors and craftsmen, examining what they drive and what drives them. Today's guest is Ralph Gilles, head of global design at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. At only 14 years old, he sent a sketch to Lee Iacocca, where Chrysler's design chief insisted he attend design school. The rest was history. His resume includes the Chrysler 300, which won the 2005 North American Car of the Year, as well as the Dodge SRT Viper. While Ralph is at the forefront of shaping the future of automobiles, he always carried a genuine passion for the past. His garage includes a custom-built Alfa Romeo GTA Tribute, the Lancia Delta Integrale, and a 1968 Dodge Charger. We'll be learning more about his personal project cars, his role at FCA, and the state of the industry on today's Petrolicious podcast. I'm here today with Ralph Gilles, head of design for FCA. Uh, please welcome Ralph. How are you, Ralph? Hi. Uh, pleasure to, to be on with you, Ashton. Uh, it's nice to have you. Uh, you have had uh, quite a career at FCA. Uh, previously, you were president and CEO of Motorsports. You were president and CEO of the SRT brand, as well as the Dodge brand, uh, in charge of design for interior and, and uh, other brands. Um, so I'm speaking with a pretty important person at FCA right now. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I, all I think about is how crusty and old I am. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pretty young executive. Relatively. So what, what's, what's a typical week like for you? Wow, that's a good question. Um, lately, it's been obviously different, but um, typically a lot of design reviews. So we still d- deal in, uh, you know, basically we were working about five years ahead of the marketplace. Uh, so in any given day, if I were to walk through a typical studios and, and all our brands are kind of sequentially laid out in a building, I look at sketches. That's the thing I I kind of always uh, lurking around the studios, looking for that one sketch that will stimulate an idea or, or be the next car, you know. Um, nice. It's not, and that's a fantasy part of it. You know, the other drudgery, I guess, or the fun part, and sometimes is when you get that that sketch turned into 3D. We start with scale models, and eventually full size, and that's a really exciting process. But it's kind of a competition. You know, you might have four themes, then down to three, then down to two, and then right. the, the big showdown in the dome when the boss is uh, my boss uh, makes the final call. Yeah. So as as um, as head of the of design, mm-hmm. uh, having worked your way up there, so today how much actual um, personally do you get involved in individual cars designs and directions and determining you know uh, the the look for the next generation? Well, so, okay, well, we've got to take a couple steps back and understand what FCA is now. A lot of people don't even know what FCA means. You know, it sounds like a bank sometimes you know, when you hear the name. Yeah. But, but Fiat Chrysler Automobiles is obviously a merged company of, of Fiat, which is Maserati, Alfa Romeo, one of my favorite brands of all time, uh, Fiat Lancia, and Iveco Trucks, uh, based out of Turin. Um, and they're very, very big and popular in Latin America as well. Then you have ourselves, Jeep, Dodge, Chrysler, um, and now Ram. Um, so I kind of oversee all of those products and I, I do touch all of them. And I, that's quite a challenge because I have to physically get myself to Italy. Uh, we do a lot of telepresence uh, every month, every every couple of weeks. We, we meet with our guys in Brazil. We have a, a good sized studio in Brazil, about over 160 people now. And then Turin and Michigan are about the same size. They're about 400 plus uh, people, mm-hmm. including clay modelers, designers, uh, 
3D digital surfacers, all kinds of, of talent there. And then a, yeah. and a budding studio in China. So I have to coordinate all that together. Right. Um, and I almost have an out-of-body experience. It's a lot of brands, right? They're all very, very different. We try to keep And they're all like very exciting brands. We're talking Thank about, you, you know, yeah. true enthusiast brands from Alfa Romeo, Jeep, SRT. You know, these are not, uh, these are not commuter brands. These are <laughs> true enthusiast brands. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of against commodities, right? Really try really hard to keep the brands separated and uh, give them their own special sauce. You know, that's part of the the magic. Right. And and what my old boss, uh, my you know, he's deceased now. Sergio Marchioni was a big mm-hmm. brand guy. He was really big into separating the brands, and so much so that he gave each brand uh, a shepherd. So that's why my job at one time was shepherding the the Dodge brand, and eventually the SRT brand came was its own brand for about five years. Um, right. So it really puts the importance on developing the brand from from you know head to toe, basically. Yeah, that's great. And so, um, uh, so now you work with the head of design for each of those brands, and you you give them guidance as to. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I, it wasn't that way in the beginning. I was really trying to do it all myself, and it was quite hard, especially on the U.S. side. And uh, so I put uh, Klaus Busse, who's in charge of the Italian side, and under him, he's got a guy that does the Maseratis and the Alphas, and then an interior dedicated guy. And I have the same setup in the States. So he does a day-to-day, you know, he does the, yeah. all the... I had the pleasure to meet him in uh, in Milan, uh, or actually in Turin, uh, yeah. last year. So, yeah, yeah he's a designer's guy. designer. He really dresses so much better than I do. I'm so jealous of <laughs> his wardrobe. <laughs> he's uh-huh. so tall, he's like 6'7", he has to have almost everything custom-made anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised to see him fit into an Alfa Romeo 4C. Oh, my God. And he's been, he's had, used to have a crossfire. His knees were almost to his, his ears when he drove it. It was, it was quite hilarious. Wow. He loves cars <laughs> so much, he squeezes in them. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's it's this idea of working with them, but also the brand brand heads. I mean, the brand heads are typically sales guys that have kind of been elevated to run the brands. And they're not necessarily designers, but they do have very strong opinions and, of course, a vision for where they want to take their respective brands. For sure, yeah. uh, you, you're obviously a, a you know from a very young age a true car enthusiast. Uh, mainly growing up with muscle cars, but mm-hmm. um, also into Alfa Romeos, as you said more recently, and Lanchas. Uh, you shared with me a really cool uh, build that you just completed, the GTA yeah. tribute car. Yeah. Loved the the look and sound of that. You want to take us through what yeah. you just finished doing? Yeah. So I, I'm sure you've had Dorian uh, on your show, um, Dorian. Oh, yeah. Dorian, yeah. we've featured him in a film. He's a uh, yeah. good friend. Yeah. Yeah, I met him because of your show. I actually found out about him. I was looking for a mechanic uh-huh. to work on my daughter's Fiat 500 out west. And I flew over there and he let me borrow his shop and we worked together. And then, of course, at the corner of the shop is this familiar, you know, that, that shape. I, I love so much the GT uh, body style, the 105s. And I asked him, what is that car? It was under a cover. And, I, and we kind of pulled the cover, and it's a step nose. I've always wanted a step nose. I mean, I've, I've had GTV. They're before. so gorgeous. Yeah, there's something. And Jujaro is probably my favorite designer of all time. And that was his really one of his coming out cars. Um, so I looked at the car, and it was kind of three quarters done. The bodywork was stunning, but the engine was was just not done at all. You know, So it didn't really run well. And he's, uh-huh. he's so busy, he ran out of time. And I, and I made him a deal. And it was one of those things where I didn't have time to ask my wife yet. <laughs> <laughs> and the car was on a As holler. for forgiveness later, exactly. that type of thing. Yeah, it was on a holler, and in Michigan, literally almost beat me home. You know, <laughs> so, right. So, 
Then, of course, I call my friends alphaholics and uh, start ordering parts. And like, it's one of those things. I'm not I did. Uh, the last one I did was a full rotisserie restoration. This one just was literally bolt ons. Uh, and my favorite mm-hmm. thing is the engines. I love building engines. It's right. a cathartic thing. I really I kind of zone out, you know, measuring things and putting it together. And it's so satisfying, and, you know, to, to what you hear it run for the first time. Absolutely. And this one has a has a later two liter, is that correct? Yeah, a twin it's a spark. twin spark. And, and uh, I was able to find, uh, Alcoholics had one laying around, a valve cover that sort of emulates the original uh, 1600 twin spark. Those are untouchable. Those engines, as you know, are so valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do like a little more, you know, gusto in it to drive it. So I thought a modern day twin spark, but I tried to make it look older. I put the uh, distributor, I could have done a, a, a hidden uh, multi, multi, uh, what do you call it? Ignition system, but I actually use a right. distributor that simulates the original uh, eight eight plug distributor, and then hidden uh, Genvy makes this really cool carburetor slash injectors. It looks like a carburetor, but it's actually a throttle bodies. So when you open the hood, it, it feels more period correct, but it does drive like a modern car. It fires right up and and and, and it certainly sounds period correct, even yeah. though you put in fuel injection, right? Uh, yeah. it still sounds like it's got uh, Weber carbs on it. It sounds yeah, beautiful. Those uh, 45 millimeter trumpets, just unbelievable. I mean, I almost want to, to drive with the windows down, my head out the window. If it's 30 degrees, I don't care. <laughs> I'll just do it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a, a little bit of the engine noise of you uh, driving through the gears for people to check it out. What else you got in your personal connection uh, collection? I know you have a, a, a Lancia Delta Integrale. Integrale is one of those cars. Again, it was a bringer trailer car where I've, I've been yeah. watching them all over uh, for years, trying to find a, a decent one. And I and I bought it in uh, sight unseen. Flew to New York, drove it home the, the very same night. <laughs> we flew, nice. landed at eight, went to the guy's house, picked up the car, drove it straight back home, um, all the way from downtown. You literally lived in Manhattan. I couldn't believe it. It was a, a very long drive. Um, and the car was a good car. The car was really good. It needed a little, it just needed um, a gasket between, unfortunately, behind the clutch. So I had to take the engine out um, mm. and took the chance to freshen everything. I put fresh rings in it and redid the heads, the valves, and it runs so good. It, it is such a fun car. I get it now. It's one of those cars you hear yeah. about and you're afraid to meet your heroes, you know? <laughs> right, right. And I finally got it. To the experience. Yeah. Good. Oh, my gosh. I just wish I lived uh, closer to windier roads, but other than that. It's, uh... Oh, yeah. And people get it. I'm surprised. I live in Michigan, and these cars, you know, the muscle car thing is so big here. But you drive this thing around, and, and a lot of the guys understand exactly what it is. They go, nice, Lancia, you know. And they know exactly what the car is all about. So it's cool. Nice. Yeah. And then on my other end of my spectrum, I have the Demon. You know, it was crazy, crazy. Uh, this thing lifts its wheels off the ground when you hit the gas. You know? Right. So I go from a Julia to a, <laughs> a Demon. Nice. I like it. Uh, so it depends what mood I'm in, I guess. Yeah. But I'm, pretty, I'm really lucky. Honestly, I live in a very remote area. You know, rent is cheap, so to speak. So I spend some of my, my money on cars. Yeah. <laughs> So are you contractually required to keep your collection to FCA brand cars? No, 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 no. I've had <laughs> People ask me that all the time, actually. And loyal, we're, the one, we're still that company that if you drive a foreign car to work, they make you park in the back 40. That's still the case. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. It's kind of yeah. a leftover thing from the back in the day in Michigan. But, uh, That's right. I, I have the only non-FCA um, product I have now is, is just a Porsche, a 911 Porsche, whatever. Uh-huh. And I have a, a special place in my heart for Porsches. I think every car guy does. You know? <laughs> yeah, you can't be into cars and not like a Porsche. Yeah. 
I got to um, drive a, uh, a, a Viper SRT back in like 2015. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been much more of a small, nimble car type of guy, not a big power uh, muscular guy. And uh, so I had my biases against it. I thought this is going to be a ton of power that you can't control and mm-hmm. no handling. But I was blown away by how controllable, predictable, communicative that car was. And, uh you know, I was driving it around. It was a press car, obviously, driving around mm-hmm. in Mulholland. And uh, the more you pushed it, the smaller it felt and the more sure-footed it felt. So uh, wow. I was really I impressed by that car. I had the biggest grin on my face because you're saying that. Because I can't tell you how <laughs> many people I run into. Because I, I, I I've had bumpers now forever. I have two now. I have an ACR that I take to the track and a GTS that I drive on the street. And uh-huh. I've always uh, purposely would find Porsche driving school days or, you know, Everything but normal, you know. And I right. would go up the Viper, and they always sneer at you, like, "Oh, he's gonna be the first one in the, in the ditch," you know. Yeah. Yet, yet the Viper was was easily the fastest car at the track every time. And yeah. You couldn't believe it. And they always come up to you, "What's going on?" And then you walk them around the car, the double wishbone. That car is is basically a, a story of setup, you know. In the Gen Five, yeah. the engineers got the Gen Five right. They really stabilized the rear end and re- revised the strength of the chassis. Once the platform got stiff, the the car came together. It's got an amazing amount of rubber but if you can't put it down you know so mm-hmm. the, the gen fives are truly i love what their description because to me it feels like a leather jacket when you like a tight fitting jacket the totally. more you drive it, it shrinks around you and most Absolutely. people don't realize the car is two inches shorter than 991 i mean it looks uh-huh. big because of the way the proportions are but it's actually shorter than a 911 <laughs> exactly you know in, in, yeah. on in photos photos don't do it justice because yeah. it feels it looks like a huge car but once you walk up to it yeah. you realize how small it is and when you drive it, it even feels you know Smaller in a good way. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, so you said you guys uh, are designing five years out, pretty mm-hmm. much. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. What, what you know, obviously, without revealing anything that you can't reveal. Mm-hmm. What are some general trends that uh, we should be expecting five years down the line? Oh, absolutely, the electric thing is, is coming. I mean, it's. Um, we're getting to the point now where electric, the cost of electricity and the cost of, let's say, compliance, we call it in the industry. When you look at what has to be done to a gas engine, um, it basically has to be a hybrid. Almost all cars in the next five years will either have to be hybrid or electrified. And mm-hmm. by the time you, if you think about a hybrid car, it's basically two powertrains in one and a battery, right? You got electric, right. gas, and all that. So you, your costs are to almost be equal, if not slightly more, than an electric car. Um, at the same time, battery density is getting a lot better. Um, there's much more suppliers out there making the parts. A lot of OEMs are investing it. Uh, gas is actually, on, in one way, kind of doing the opposite of what we thought. Gas is not getting more expensive. It's actually going the yes. other way, which exactly. challenges the consumer behavior. In some countries, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of incentives for people to buy electric cars. Um, in others, it's, it's a very different story. So that's always going to be something where the market preferences is a little tricky, and our job is basically to to try to uh, to not make the electric car a begrudging choice, but something people actually want, you know. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and they are fantastic to drive. It's just the cost. By the time you get one right, it, it tends to be a fifty, sixty thousand dollar car. Um, so that's the nut we're trying to crack right now. Is is how do we we electrify and start dedicated platforms? I think uh, adapted adapted platforms can work, but as you get into the future, you're going to see more and more dedicated platforms that are designed around electric cars and don't need certain things and, and don't have certain things because of that. So it's a lot of fun for me. It's, it's a new chapter of design, new opportunities to, to push and pull the forms around. 
Right. Yeah, I saw the um, unveiling of the new Fiat 500 uh, mm-hmm. that's all electric and uh, was pretty impressed by that presentation, uh, especially the range and the whole, you know, ground up uh, electric philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could, you know, I could totally see a driving enthusiast having one of those as their daily commuter mm-hmm. and then having a, you know, either a vintage or purely gas powered car for uh, carving the canyons. So, should we be worried that there's not going to be that choice for having an all gas, uh, you know, fun car for the weekend uh, in the future? You know, when I look at the data and we, and we spend a lot of time futuring and looking at data and it, it looks like for as long as you and I are on the, alive, <laughs> I think, uh-huh. uh, electric cars are probably going to approach about 30 percent of the market at some point in the next five to 10 years. Uh, not a hundred percent, and it's just not the infrastructure is not there for it. Uh, and gas cars are still really, really good cars, and getting cleaner every day as well. Uh, right. But I think there's going to be choices. I think we're going to live in a time when it's up to you to choose. I mean, and based on your circumstance, if you're, you know, in Europe, in certain cities, they're making it quite, you know, interesting to have an electric car. Some of them don't quite have the infrastructure, but they're banning gas cars in, in certain city centers during certain times. Uh, that's where we're going kind of the plug-in hybrid route where you can at least uh, switch the car to electric when you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a lot of different solutions. But ultimately, I would say, you know, 20 years from now, most cars will probably be electric. But there's still going to be some gas cars. I don't think they're going to ban them off the, the universe. But Right. Because um, there's still some well, – just like we still have horses today. We don't, you know, we don't take them to the corner store, but we still race them and enjoy them. But some, some uh, European cities are really trying hard to yeah. you know, ban cars in general. Yeah. And to me, it's a shame because modern cars are very, very clean. I mean, I think some of the heavy industry is still hasn't caught up to the modern day car. You know, some of the trucking industry is still a little bit behind. And that's mm-hmm. where most of the pollution tends to come from is, is the heavy duty trucking. You know, right. The big older diesels and stuff. And older sure. cars in general, getting newer cars on the road. Last year, we launched Petrolicious membership to empower and elevate our community who celebrate the Drive Tastefully ethos. From weekly member-exclusive films, exploring the world's finest homologation specials or storied classic car workshops, to our quarterly print publication, Drive Tastefully, Petrolicious membership is your gateway into the most exclusive automotive content, period. Members receive priority access and preferred pricing to our classic car rallies and gatherings around the globe, and special member pricing on all goods and gear in the Petrolicious shop. Membership is 50% off during our special quarantine pricing starting at $29 per year. Visit us at Petrolicious.com to learn more. From a design perspective, um, again, looking five plus years down the line, uh, anything that you can share with us as far as <laughs> cues we should expect? Uh, you know, one one thing, one personal uh, pet peeve of mine is size. Or, mm. you know, mm. is this size creep going to continue forever? I mean, it can't, obviously. No, because I actually are think big. it peaked. That's a very good uh-huh. point. We talk about that a lot, actually. I think the, the sizing is somewhat peaked. There's still going to be segments like the big E SUVs that are just, you know, there's mm. actually people that really, really like that size. But uh, a lot of what you're understanding about size, the reason the cars have gotten so big is because the safety standards have gotten so, so intense that right. we need the crush space. You need room for the, the, the deceleration to happen. So that's some of the reason the cars have gotten bigger. Some of it's choice. I mean, we're able to make the cars bigger, but they're actually getting lighter now. Even though they're larger, mm-hmm. they're actually less heavy than their smaller counterparts. So there are some kind of pros and cons. And then, of course, the CAFE system um, has rewarded what they call the footprint of the car. You know, So the, the longer the wheelbase mm-hmm. and the wider the track – 
uh, puts on a different yield curve, right? So that also has driven the cars to be a little bit bigger than they probably normally would be. Um, but I right. do think it's peaked. I think we're finding um, that, especially with electric cars, you don't need the overhangs as much. You can actually make the passenger space, you know, dedicate more of the car to passenger than to, to mechanicals. Right. So that's kind of yeah. You know, I've always thought, um, uh, and this is, I'm going to kind of bitch and moan for a second because it's not every day that you get to have the head of design of one of the most major automotive manufacturers uh, listening to you. So, um, you know, I feel like the size and safety factor have become so ridiculous. You know, on the one hand, we're talking about safety. As long as motorcycles are legal and allowed on the roads, I feel this whole safety thing is is a little bit hypocritical on the parts of governments and regulatory bodies. Like, uh, you know, if I can get on a motorcycle, that is probably the most lethal thing I can I can uh, drive. Mm. Why can't I choose to have like a fun sports car that maybe doesn't have 700 airbags and you know uh, <laughs> so much padding around me and so forth? And you know, some, after all, I can get in my 56 Julieta Spider, which yeah. is also a death trap, and and drive that. What if I want? What if I'm happy with like 90s era level of safety and want something lighter and more compact and, and yeah. so forth? So, and I know you're you're you know yeah. you're head of design. You're not a, a regulator, so I just wanted to kind of air this out. And uh, no, I feel and you. the fact that yeah, the the size also impacts. Uh, um, you know, you, you can't just proportionally make everything bigger and expect it to remain looking good because it's mm -hmm. all relative to the human body as well. Yeah. So, and that, um, so yeah, I just wanted to get that out. <laughs> no, that's a challenge we have. And that's one of the reasons, if you've noticed, wheels have gotten bigger and bigger, diameters of mm -hmm. wheels, overall diameters. We have minivans with 20-inch wheels, which that used to be, you know, unique right. for supercars at one time. And a lot of that is designed to hide the size of the car, actually, to, to manage the scale by growing the diameters of the wheels. Um, exactly. But one of the cars I one of the cars I own actually the four C is to me one of those nice cars that actually gone the other way. You know, light. Mm -hmm. you know, it's twenty four hundred pounds. It's super small and, and short. And I love that car because it, it is safe. It's perfectly safe. Um, but you and you can make cars smaller. You just have to use some pretty exotic materials and, and really some cool engineering. But you know, I think about that all the time. I have the exact same thought when I when I jump into my Julie. I don't feel necessarily safe compared to when I drive my uh, twenty five hundred diesel ram truck you know? right exactly <laughs> um but you know we design for the masses unfortunately so we have to, to yeah. kind of adhere to that but yeah that's that's an interesting thought yeah. it'll be interesting if you know if in the future there's any way to get and this is uh, a pipe dream because mm -hmm. uh, i know regular bodies don't think this way but if there could be a carve out for more recreational type you know road vehicles that mm -hmm. are not designed to be you know, everyday driver cars, but like your weekend canyon carver that might be subject to slightly more lenient uh, standards of safety and other things. Yeah, they do that in Europe, actually. In Europe, there's there's classes of sports cars that are exempt as long as they're um, below certain volumes. In France, mm -hmm. they have a special uh, type of car. It's not highway legal, but very, it looks pretty good, but it, uh, they're right. not, uh, you know, they're not, they would never meet the, the normal standards. And they do that for affordability. So the people, you know, buy a $7,000, $6,000 car. Uh, so yeah. that's something that's interesting. I don't know if the U.S. will ever take that on. And, and in a way, that's why I think there's such a resurgence to classic car restoration. Um, exactly. Yeah. One of the reasons I do what I do, because I kind of like the best of both. You know, I like having a modern car for every day when you're stuck in the NASCAR-like traffic situations, you know. Totally, yeah. You and then some, on the weekend, I, I love jumping into this super light, you know, 
effortless little car from from the 50s you know there's something about it that's really liberating like driving a motorcycle but my wife will never let me i want to do cotty so bad i can't even oh yeah <laughs> I, i've literally come close to also bringing one home without telling her but that would cause major divorce issues right <laughs> but that sense of uh freedom and lightness is something that that really appeals to me sure yeah. and we have our young kids to think about as yeah. well So your your daughter drives a a vintage Fiat 500. Yeah, she has a Compass, a Jeep Compass. But her her love and she fell in love with the car watching uh, one of her cartoons. Um, the car was featured quite in this Japanese anime cartoon. Oh, cool! And uh, <laughs> she just loves the car. I mean, and then I I was half kidding with her and I searched one like it as close as I could find and and found this yellow one. And the guy is a retired NASA engineer who loves small cars. He's kind of famous. He's been on Jay Leno's. Um, So uh -huh. I've seen him at Cars and Coffee in the past. He's got like uh, Isettas and he, you know, he has those kind of cars, Messerschmitts. And, you know. Very cool. Micro cars. Yeah, yeah, he's a micro car guy. So I bought the car and uh, just needed a little work. I ended up putting an Abarth engine in it because it was too slow. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I, got on, I got on the boulevard. I'm like, this thing won't get out of it. So it was like 18 horsepower on a good day. So, so I, I found right. out you can buy completely built up Abarth motors for a scintillating 55 horsepower. That's cool. Um, but in that car, it feels great. I mean, it really goes now. So she loves it. Yeah. And she had to learn. So she uses that on the weekends? Though? Yeah. She goes around groceries. Right. Not th I don't let her get on the freeway with it, with it just because it's so right. small. Uh, but yeah. it's fun. She learned how to drive a stick. She's never. I would never thought my daughter would be driving a stick. You know what they say about millennials, but she loves it. Uh -huh. <laughs> she drives like a champ. Good man. <laughs> you did well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now that we're stuck at home with this COVID-19 stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to get your perspective on its impact on uh, the auto industry and, you know, how long do you think it's going to take oh, it's, for it's it's significant. to come back to normal? Yeah, yeah. We've, and I've been through the 20, 20, 2009 downturn, and this is very different. This is not as scary in a way that um, we kind of see a light at the end. We know that it's probably a two, three-month thing, you know, so a lot of our planning is already adjusted. We immediately, you know, looking at the other countries go through it, you know, Italy went through it a good month and a half before we did. And we saw yeah. the measures they had to take. So we quickly did those things in the States. Um, uh, sadly, we had to, you know, we had to uh, furlough some of our employees. Uh, hopefully most of that is temporary. And all of us at the executive level took significant uh, pay cuts. So we're, everybody's pitching in to try to, to weather the storm. Um, right. But the part that we didn't expect is because every state's different. Some states don't allow uh, dealers to sell cars at all. Others are, are allowing contactless delivery or digital sales, mm -hmm. I guess. Right. And one thing that's happened is our we've our uh, IT guys have teamed up with our marketing folk and developed uh, online sales for them. So dealers that were kind of doing things the old way were able to download this software and we were helping them find customers. And it's actually in some ways compressed five years of development into a few months. <laughs> oh, that's great. So our whole <laughs> network is just about uh, digital now. So in a way, when we come out of this, we'll be far farther ahead in terms of how to sell cars to a new generation of buyers. Because what, mm -hmm. what's exciting is people are still shopping because they're home and they're on the internet. We see a lot of what we call lower funnel activity. So there's yeah. still a lot of interest if people are just waiting for the thing to be over. So Um, yeah, but in the meantime, we're not building cars. That's that's something that's never happened. Every single plant is dormant right now in the U.S. except for uh, I think a few parts that we're making for because we we sell a lot of police cars and stuff, so we have to maintain those. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's wild. Nothing I've ever seen before. But in a way, yeah. it's brought the company closer. Like um, we have such better meetings now because my I still have staff meetings. I still have reviews. We you know I'm on my butt from seven in the morning till six at night on my chair behind my laptop having meetings you know mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. meetings take longer because everybody has a voice now but it's actually cool we were learning a lot about ourselves and i think it's it's going to make us stronger when we get back 
Yeah, absolutely. It's so true that um, it's made us realize how, you know, things can be done differently mm -hmm. and efficiently um, and not necessarily, you know, you don't have to be there in person uh, to make it happen. Obviously, and I'm seeing manufacturing things. needs to be done in person, but, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, meetings. What's uh, really cool is I'm seeing some great work out of my designers because they're saying they feel like they're in in college again. You know, they got their headphones on, they're locked away by themselves in their house. Oh, yeah. And there's just jamming. You got the music and they're sketching and the work is incredible. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> really cool you know, to see them uh, thrive That's awesome. in a new way. What are some of your favorite all-time designs in cars? Wow, the way that's my least favorite question because <laughs> I, you know, as a designer, I get to go to all these car shows. I get invited to, uh, I went to Villa Desse for the first time last year. I'm in a Pebble, oh, yeah. you know, Amelia. So I get to see these all classic car shows. And I have a sweet spot in my heart for that 50s, you know, like the Tipo 33 Stradales and the yeah. Scaglietti stuff. I mean, it's just some gorgeous cars, Bertone's of those times. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll always, always have a special place in my heart for that era of Italian design. It was just so, and they had no rules back then, no worries about crap regulations. Just make the car beautiful. Yeah, you know? I'm with you. And the same with the Americans. American stuff mm -hmm. back in the day was nice. Um, modern day cars are starting to get really pretty attractive and pretty distinctive. I would say um, company mm -hmm. over the last few years have really found their mojo and their own aesthetic. For a while, everyone was kind of copying everybody else. And, you know, yeah. I think I've seen... Especially at the high end, there's yeah. a lot of cool things happening at the very high end. Yeah. Even uh, the Chinese companies, I'm finding they were definitely... I mean, you could look even five years ago, go to the Beijing Auto Show, and you, you couldn't even tell a brand. I mean, it looks like copies of Jeeps and copies of this and that. Mm -hmm. Now they're actually breaking away and, and doing very unique things. So it's an exciting time. There's a lot of uh, new expressions. Uh, the Germans have never been bolder. The grills are bigger than ever. The you know, Lexus and Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, I feel like Chrysler we went through that big grill stage back in 06 and 08. You know, and now they're... Right, right. <laughs> so some of that is like we're moving on to a, a different thing. Uh, we still have the, the very, you know, impressive trucks with, with their outsized front ends. But um, it's neat how much people are trying to give the cars so much character with design. Sometimes probably overcooking the design a little bit, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Uh, and I like how uh, you know Tesla kind of broke the mold with their truck. Mm -hmm. Something yeah, totally yeah. Yeah, you know like anything something. else there. Yeah, yeah. I want to stick that thing in the wind tunnel, see how it works. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the wind tunnel is a, is a black art. Every time we think something's slippery, it's not. And when it when it is, it doesn't look like it should be. I mean, it's a really it's it's not easy when you to to deal with aerodynamics. It's not as easy as you right. Can. Well, you know that uh, um, the Alfa Romeo SS, that thing had like a drag coefficient of like something ridiculous, like 0.26 or 0.27 well, yeah, or something like that. Way ahead of its time. <laughs> but of course, it's also a very small car, which mm -hmm. helps a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's the thing you're going to see too in the next few years is aerodynamics is everything. I mean, that. Uh, oh, yeah. When you look at. When you're trying to squeeze out mileage, oh, that, you yeah. know, Especially you electric pull car. every lever you can. They're very sensitive to aero because of, uh, you know, dynamic. They don't like to be loaded at high speed. So that's when you really uh, burn the juice down. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be interesting. You know, how cars are going to get slippery. I always joke to my designers, there's a reason all airplanes look the same, you know, so make sure you don't, <laughs> you don't do that to cars. You know? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, what's the next personal project for you, either car wise or something fun that you. Oh my goodness. That's a fun. I, there's one I'm actually working on. It's um, so I love Italian cars, but I'm also a big Mopar freak and I'm uh, uh -huh. currently working with Speedcore, a company out of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, building a um, a special uh, charger. It's a 1968 mm. charger, but extra modern. Like it, it will look old from a distance, but when you walk up to it, it it's uh, it's quite an amazing car. I saw a few of their works at, at SEMA show, and I fell in love 
with them. Uh-huh. And it's like everything I do, it starts with a conversation. Next thing you know, the, the idea just mushrooms and, and pretty pretty soon I'm in the nice. negotiating with my wife. Yeah. So that's been going on for about a year. I don't want to tell you too much. It'll be a surprise, but it'll okay. hope, hope to get it done um, right around the end of the summertime. So. Yeah, looking forward to that. Check out my Instagram. I'll be posting all about it. <laughs> well, maybe we should do a film on it. Yeah, it'd be fun. Actually, it's uh, it's kind of three quarters of the way done, but it's in a cool phase now where it's like a model kit car. It's all spread apart everywhere. So. Sounds great. But this is a weird one because I build mostly my own cars. This is the first time I'm entrusting somebody else to do it. So that's going uh-huh. to be interesting. It's it's amazing that you still find the time to build your own cars and still, uh, you know, absolutely. be the head of the side for it. <laughs> it's, it's cathartic. If I didn't do it, I, w- I, would, I would be a grumpy old man. I mean, it really helped yeah. me. Because luckily, I, the way my house is set up, my garage is right attached to my house. So I, I, after dinner, after I get home from work, I have dinner quickly, usually frozen dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We have Friday night date nights, but the rest of the time it's frozen dinner. Um, uh-huh. And I go to the garage for about two hours. I just tinker and then I come back, do emails, and that's it. So I pick at it. Yeah. It's like knitting. You know, you do a little here, a little there. Sure. Yeah. But work always takes, you know. You know what's neat, interesting about this COVID thing? I haven't flown anywhere in almost two and a half months. and. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually in the airport every every other weekend, so it's kind of I'm getting all this time I didn't know what to do with. You know. Right. So I'm pretty much caught up on all my projects. That's amazing. Like so many people are, you know, doing personal projects as a result of this thing, yeah. learning something new or tending to stuff that they haven't. How are you keeping your time? For I get to ask a couple questions. I hope on the podcast. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. You-, um, you know, we've been really good about the whole quarantine. So the only time we leave the house is to go for a walk for exercise and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, except for that, um, it's been great spending time with um, our daughter, Luna, who's almost five now and, you know, teaching her stuff. I play a lot of chess with her and uh, trying to get her to play more piano, but she she likes it. She's a little resistant to practice, but, you know, Mm -hmm. just doing uh, uh, those kind of things. Oh, and a lot of cooking. So made a delicious roast last night. uh, (laughs) You download the instructions and try to copy them? Is that how you do it? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Wow. But uh, sadly, no car stuff. So I haven't yeah. uh, taken advantage of the empty roads to go drive 100 miles an hour like a lot of people have been doing <laughs> these days. <laughs> Funny, I do, I do a little testing. I, I sneak out at night just to do a little calibration work. And uh, there's a local, yeah. the local police know me by now, so they leave me alone. You know, they, okay. they kind of wave at yeah. me. <laughs> there's that guy. Yeah, the calibration <laughs> work. <yeah. laughs> it's funny. Date night with my, uh, with my wife is her with the laptop on her on her. Either she drives, uh-huh. sometimes she'll drive and I might have the laptop, but it's sometimes I'll, I'll have her uh, put in the cells for me as I try to keep the constant RPM there. Right. Uh, but That's I love good. that. I'm such a nerd with that, I'm trying to get it down to perfect stoichiometric uh, mixture. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of BC, yeah. right? BC Moto? Uh, of which one? BC Moto? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's become a good friend of mine, so he's helped me a lot with uh, calibration. So I've, I've, oh, nice. I've evolved modern uh, injection in my older cars now, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, thanks so much. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that I didn't yeah. touch on? A couple of things I would like to say about the industry, I would say. Um, yeah, please. Because we're trying to find, you know, for a while we're having trouble finding young designers that want to do cars because they mm-hmm. there's a bit of a perception that, especially with Detroit automakers, that we're, you know, oh, it's kind of old-fashioned stuff. But what I'm finding in the last five years is is the car is almost half a computer, you know. It's more of a, a rolling computer now than it is a car. So we're we're actually hiring different types of designers than we were before. Um, not, you know, mm-hmm. In the old days, we'd hire styling guys that just made the car look cool and even try to make exterior guys do interiors. Now we're hiring dedicated interior guys, dedicated infotainment people, dedicated. So our team, the complexion of our team has changed so, so much. 
and mm-hmm. we're finding by getting some of these kids that would have gone to tech in the industry coming to Detroit are actually having a blast. They're like, wow, I didn't realize they could create a machine that has so many attributes and dimensions and affects uh, people's lives in such a cool way. So just get the word out there. Anybody who wants to get into the industry or, you know, oh, yeah. Google it, kind of reverse engineer it. You know, it's, you know, there's some great schools in California. There's some great schools all over the world. Um, Absolutely. We do hire yeah. from outside of the design schools. We're trying to really mix it up a little bit, get uh, video game designers out of the basement and get them into our shops, you know. <laughs> That's really great to hear. Um, it, it actually brings up a question. Uh, you know, the whole infotainment mm-hmm. um, issue within in car design is an interesting one because on the one hand, it seems like you guys are, you, you know, doing so much to try to keep up with, let's say, Apple or mm-hmm. Samsung or Android. Um, why not just partner with them and just have them take over yeah you know that whole part you're absolutely correct and that that was that's been our approach we we have a very good relationship with with amazon and actually with android google um uh-huh. we actually been partnering with google to develop to help them develop their their car place uh, their um android auto system and because we're we can never beat the tech industry tech industry is just so big and so fast at that so we have right. done quite a bit of that but there's definitely some ego there not not maybe so much with yeah. us but Every auto company wants to kind of control their own destiny because there is some money to be made if you get it right. There's a bit of – Of course. So everybody mm-hmm. wants a bit of that. But we're realizing that people expect the car to work like their phones. You know, They really want that seamless uh, interaction with all their devices. So I think you're on right. something. I think part of it's going to be uh, – a lot of it's going to be collaboration with a little bit of customization to make sure that the brand comes through. Because cars are the future. I mean, we're going to have cars that are almost, we're going to talk about inches of screens in your car like you talk about TVs, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A total of 38 inches of screen in my car. And with that, it's just blank screen if you don't populate it, right? So that's one of the places my department's growing a lot is in, uh-huh. in that space. We're hiring. I mean, we've grown it from three people to close to 30 um, right. Right, that just do nothing but um, infotainment design. So it's a lot of fun, a whole new world for us. That's good, and also the upgradability of it, because mm-hmm. that's the that's the um, part that becomes obsolete the quickest, obviously, because yeah. the, the industry changes so fast there. So, yeah. you know, whereas a ten-year-old car can uh, still mechanically be really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, still current and relevant, uh, its electronics are so outdated mm-hmm. compared to what's available today. So, is there work being done to make those components more upgradable that's, so that the that's exactly mm-hmm. what we're doing you connect five and i would say tesla is definitely ahead of the game on that they've been that's pretty much mm-hmm. their platform from day one um and the industry is going that way in, in china you see a lot of that happening with chinese automakers we have our new you connect five which was supposed to launch a few months ago but it, the different uh-huh. shows got canceled uh but we will have that pretty much in all our cars in the next year or so we'll, we'll start populating it as we launch new cars and that is exactly what you're saying it's going to be uh pretty much uh on the air, updatable anytime we want, mm-hmm. and we can have a great relationship with a customer where we can, if we want, if they allow us, we can we can have an ongoing relationship with them for the life of the car. Right. So that's good to hear. That's going to really change how we approach uh, design and how we, you know, you don't just launch and leave a car. You're going to be able to launch the car and, and keep developing uh, apps for it, just like people, just like your phone, right? So it's going to be fun for sure. Yeah, a lot of fun. But that takes talent. We got to find all that talent now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. I oh, uh, really enjoyed the conversation and um, hope that uh, once your uh, uh, project is done, that we can uh, yeah. come check it out and yeah. maybe uh, do another film with you. You have or an do open invitation to Michigan anytime. 
Thank you again, Ralph Shield, for joining us. Visit Ralph on Instagram at Ralph Shield. And a special thank you to all of our Petrolicious fans joining us from all over the world. Join us next time for another conversation on Petrolicious Talks. I'm Afshin Benia, reminding you to always drive tastefully. 